Well, good morning. We are in the second week of a series that we began last week called Grace Is. Grace Is. And what we have been doing in the series is we have been focusing on defining what is grace. We're not just talking about any type of grace. We're talking about New Testament, New Covenant, God-given Jesus grace. How many of you know from last week that the grace, by definition, that the world has to offer is totally different than the grace that the New Testament talks about? And so we've been in this series, and this grace is the type of grace that the apostle, the follower of Jesus, Peter, urged and emphasized and encouraged people to grow in in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. It goes like this, but grow, say grow. grow. Okay, let's do it again. You need to grow your grow. Say grow. grow. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That and is a really important word in that scripture because it connects the two. But grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. What does that mean? That means, and God just, just, just lighted this upon my mind, it was so important, that it, it means that you can't separate one from the other. You can't separate grace from the knowledge of your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Growing in grace and growing in the knowledge of Jesus Christ are to go hand in hand. Hand. They are to be inseparable. Inseparable. They are to grow together, go hand in hand, okay? What that means is that if, you're, if you grow in your knowledge of grace, you will grow in your knowledge of Jesus Christ. And if you grow in your knowledge of Jesus Christ, then you will know, grow in your knowledge of grace. They go hand in hand. Uh, it's so important for us to understand that if you grow in understanding grace, that means you grow in your understanding of Jesus. And if you grow in your understanding of Jesus, that means you will grow in your understanding of grace. Because John 1 said that grace came through Jesus Christ. Jesus is the personification of what grace is. If grace was a person... It would be Jesus. Are you with me? And so we, we, we need to know what this grace is. And so by definition, the kind of the working definition that we are working with over the next couple of weeks is this. If you want to write this down, feel free to write it down. If not, it's no big deal. Grace is the God-given gift of unmerited, undeserved, and unearned kindness and favor of God to me. And that me is not me. That me is you. It's the kindness and favor of God, say it with me, to me. And the reason why I want you to write to me is because, as Deborah alluded to this morning, it's really hard to give yourself grace. It's easier to give someone else grace. We, we will give someone else grace before we give ourselves grace. And so we need to really 
be, be receivers of this truth, that this, is a, this gift is unmerited, undeserved, and unearned, unearned kindness and favor of God, not to everybody else, excluding you. It's everybody gets this gift of grace. That's so, so important. Let me just stop right here because this is just has blown my mind. Have you ever noticed that your grace gets shorter the more you know about someone? That's why we can have so much grace for people we don't know. It gets shorter the more you know about someone. That's why, honestly, the people that we have the least amount of grace for are the people we live with. Because we get into a mentality that if you do the same thing again, you should know better. And yet we have an omniscient father that his grace increases not because he doesn't know you well enough, but because he knows everything about you. That is crazy. Because you would think that his grace, Jim, would be reduced by how much he knows about us. Yet it remains the same. That's why, that's why Jesus can look at Saul, but he doesn't see Saul, he sees Paul. And he visits him, and he doesn't, he, I, I don't know how you see this, it doesn't look, it doesn't appear like it's a scolding. It doesn't appear like, Saul, you idiot, what have you been doing? What does he do? He asks him a question, Jason. Why, why are you persecuting me? And he appears to him on this road because he wants to give him grace because he sees Paul, not Saul. That's what grace will do. Grace will actually give you a lens to see who people aren't yet so that you don't dismiss them because who, of who they already are. I hope you get this. Do you remember when Mary was by herself in the beginning of the Gospels? This is like, I don't even know why I'm talking about this. This is not even on the notes, right? So I, ho I, this, I hope this is important. <laughs> but do you know, like, Mary was all by herself, and a, an angel appears to her and says, Grace to you, Mary, highly favored one. And the angel says, You are going to be with child. And Mary has this moment because she's overwhelmed at the reality of what's going to take place, place in her life. But what she doesn't realize is the very reason why ain't the angel said what he said to her was because he saw God's grace already applied to her. So it wasn't like, this is going to happen and now it's all on you. It was, this is going to happen because God's grace is already present for it to happen. 
So what you have to understand is that when God speaks grace to you, it's not a get out of jail free card. It is this kindness and favor to you is not only just a one-stop shop. It's actually going to empower you to do the very things I've called you to do. That's why when Jesus appeared to Saul on the road and he said, why are you forsaking me? And he had this encounter with him. It was to empower him to become Paul. Okay. So grace is the God-given gift of unmerited, undeserved, and unearned kindness and favor of God to me. Last week, we talked about two parts. Four, four, we started about four things that grace is. The first two was that grace is amazing, and the second one was that grace is unmerited. And if you want to know more about what those two things meant, you can listen to the sermon last week. And so we're going to move forward from there into the third one. So for the remainder of the morning, we're going to focus on the last two. The first that we're going to focus on, which happens to be number three in the four things that grace is, is grace is undeserved. Say undeserved. God's grace is undeserved. Now, merit speaks of being good enough. Merit speaks of being good enough. That's what literally, by definition, the word merit means. It speaks of being good enough. And how many of you know that even Jesus said, no one is good but God? And so the reality of that is that if God is going to do anything on our behalf, it's going to be because we're not good enough, because he's the only one that's good. And so he's the only one that could do what he did, because he's the only one that's good. Everyone complains about why God, we can attribute to God, why do bad things happen to good people? Do you know that a very bad thing happened to the only good person? Jesus. We lose our argument because the worst thing happened to the best person on our behalf. It's not about merit. So the gift of grace is unmerited because it has nothing to do with being good enough. That should take a load off of your shoulders. We'll never be good enough for God's grace. Now, God's grace is also undeserved. The word deserve speaks of value and worth. Value and worth. Deserve, by definition, is a verb which means to do something, it's an action, to do something to show, prove, or determine worth or value. That's what deserve means, Gina. It means we do this with everyone. You either deserve praise or you deserve punishment. What we're doing is we are we are actually acting upon that in our interaction with people, and we have our own scale of what someone deserves. But grace is undeserved. Deserve speaks of value or worth. So to deserve something means that you have to do something or have done something to show or prove your worth or your value. Are you still with me? 
How many of you know that in your job, whether it be an internal pressure or an external pressure, there is a present pressure for you to determine and prove your value and your worth to your company. We all, whether we like it or not, we all are worth a certain pay rate or scale, at least that's what our companies determine. And so you don't wanna have the conversation where you're sitting in your boss's office where he says, you need to start pulling your weight around here. You need to start, what, what is the conversation? The, the conversation is your output your performance is not deserving of what we are paying you. So you need to step your game up. Is that not what that's about? You need to show us what you're worth by your performance or your output. That's what it, it often happens in, listen, this is reality. I mean, I've had conversations with Pastor Dwight where he's like, you need to step up your game here. Okay, because... You're better than that, okay? We're, we're talking about deserving, worth, value. So to be deserving is all about doing something, no matter what it is to prove your worth or your value to whoever you work for or wherever you work. Right now, at this moment, there is a person that happens to be 35 or 36 years old. His name is Tim Tebow. Anybody know who Tim Tebow is? Tim Tebow just signed a contract with the Jacksonville Jaguars, and he's not signed as a quarterback, he's signed as a tight end, and how many of you know right now, if, team, if Tim Tebow does not prove that he is deserving, he ain't gonna be on the team anymore, okay? He needs to prove his value or his worth, or he'll be cut. So back to the examples of being deserving at our jobs. We do our jobs and we get raises and we get bonuses based upon our performance, based upon us proving our value, and that's just the way that our world works. However, this is where things can get really messy in our relationship with God. We can get on a slippery slope when that same mindset overflows into our relationship with God because we can begin to believe that our value to God is based on our performance. I don't know about you, but I think we've all been there at some point. And so, what does that look like? That looks like we start to spiritually perform for God. We attend church every Sunday. We tithe. We volunteer for everything. We read our Bibles every day. We pray for an hour, we fast one day every week, we jump and we dance and we worship, and we do all these things, not because, not because we're so excited about grace, but because we think the only way that God accepts us is if we perform. And so, man, I had a real bad week, so I'm gonna come in, and I'm going to do my spiritual aerobics and somehow honor God. Do you remember in the Old Testament when Elijah was going up against the prophets of Baal? What did they do? 
They were doing spiritual aerobics, aerobics to get their God's favor. They're running around, jumping, dancing, shouting, cutting themselves somehow so that they could be deserving of their God showing up. And what did Elijah do? Elijah built an altar, put wood on it, and he wetted the wood down because he realized when fire falls, it has nothing to do with me. That's grace. Because it's not about spiritual aerobics. Now, I'm not saying, let me make it clear, because cancel culture will edit the sermon and people will be like, Pastor Caleb said I'm not supposed to tithe. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the motivation behind what you're doing. I want to encourage you that if you, if you feel like you've got to a point in your relationship with God where you have to perform to deserve his affection, his approval, and his acceptance, I want to encourage you to take the load off because you will never be deserving. That's what grace is about. Grace is undeserved kindness and favor towards God. Grace is a gift that is undeserved, then stop trying to perform spiritual acts for God to prove that you deserve the gift he gave you. See, this is what happens. We, we receive the gift of salvation, and then we spend the rest of our lives trying to show God that we are worthy of deserving the gift. Do you remember the, the parable of the prodigal son? Luke chapter 15. The son comes back, son comes back, and he comes back because he has a moment, he has a moment in the pigsty where he comes to the conclusion that it was way better being in his father's presence. And he comes back, and the father welcomes him back, but what does the older brother do? <laughs> Are you kidding? You're welcoming him back? Look what he did with your free gift. He wasted it. What was the problem? The religious spirit will constantly demand that you prove that you are deserving of a free gift. What saves us is grace. And when we screw up, what will draw us back to the Father is grace. And on top of that, what will cause him to embrace you when you come back is grace. See, I've never seen this before in the prodigal story. And I told Deborah this morning, I about put a lampshade on my head and ran around the sanctuary after I said it because it is so good. Have you ever noticed that the father was standing there waiting for the prodigal son to return? He was not standing there because it was a wish and it was a hope and it was like, my God, I hope he comes back. He was standing there because God's kindness leads toward repentance and that initial gift of his inheritance early was so good, he was standing there with confidence because he knew he'll be back. He'll be back. Because that gift is too good for every person in the room that is wondering, 
What about the people? What about my kids that grew up in church? What about my family members that I've, 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 I've invested? I've sowed spiritual seeds. I'm praying. Listen, they just need to hit a rock bottom. And in the rock bottom, they will have a revelation because that's where the prodigal son was. Where he said, what am I doing? It was better for me when I was in my father's house. And so he came back and the father was waiting there with confidence. And the older son, why are you waiting there? What are you? He's not coming back. Oh, yeah, he is. Because I'm too good. And my grace is too good. And there will be a moment because what you don't understand about the prodigal son's story is that investment of his inheritance early was a seed that he knew if he planted it, it will, blow, it will blossom in rock bottom and it will cause him to come back to me. And so he's waiting and he's like, there he is. I knew he was coming. And he takes off because he knew he was coming back. Because it is God's kindness, which is God's grace, that leads us toward repentance. And the amazing thing about God's grace is the prodigal son found the revelation of God's grace in the pigsty. Neither height nor depth will ever be able to separate us from the love of Christ. Jonah, I've called you to something. Run the opposite way, my brother, because you will get swallowed by a grace whale, and in the belly at rock bottom, you will have a revelation that it was better for you to be in the call on your life and then it will accelerate you and spew you out right onto the pedestals that you start preaching on. Yeah. God's grace is too good. Yes, it is. Thank you, Lord. Can I tell you that when Jesus is telling that story about the prodigal son, the prodigal, the, or the story of the lost coin and the lost sheep, is he, he's telling this because all of the religious people that think that you need to merit, deserve, and earn God's grace are frustrated that he's sitting with the sin sinners. And he has to tell them, let me give you three examples of how my grace finds people. It's just too good. And, and the amazing thing about the prodigal son's story is that God trusts more in his grace to transform the soul of a human being than even we do. We become so impatient. And so what we do is we, we default to religious behavior where we start to load on people. Here, you need to put this on the shoulder because you need to carry your weight. You're not being sanctified fast enough. You're not, you know what, Kim, really? It's been how many years? God trusts in his grace to transform your heart more and the other person that you don't think he's moving fast enough on he, tr he he trusts more in his grace to do the work than you do Amen. and i do people his grace is amazing so we do these we jump through these spiritual hoops and listen to me if grace is a gift that is undeserved then stop trying to perform spiritual acts for god to prove that you deserve the gift that he gave you some of us receive the gift of grace 
and then we spend the rest of our lives trying to prove to Jesus that we were worthy of the gift, and that's not what, it, what it's about. Listen to me. If that's who God is, and that's what he's all about, then he isn't our Savior. He's Santa Claus. You be good enough, and if you're not good enough, you're not getting another gift. Because the last time I gave you a gift, you were spoiled. You abused it. That's like if I give Zeke a gift. Listen, I have surrendered to the reality he will more than likely break everything that we give him. <laughs> He'll break it. He's got a breaker anointing. <laughs> He'll break it. But I won't stop giving because he didn't steward the last gift of grace well. Does not the father give good gifts to his children when they ask? That's what it's all about. That's why she read what she read in Corinthians. Grace will abound in every place. I think in John 1, it says that through Jesus, we get grace on top of grace. <laughs> that is exponential grace. You don't get grace in one measure, and then he's like, let me see what you do with that. He gives it in overflow because he knows that you will eventually come to the point where everything that you strive to sanctify in your own flesh, you will finally surrender to the goodness of God and realize, what am I doing? He's too good to, for me to do this. It, this is stupid. You know why he hates sin? Because sin hurts people. It's as simple as that. And he gives you grace for you to overcome your sin because your sin is hurting you and hurting other people. That's what it's all about. It's not about a law. It's about let me help you with supernatural grace to overcome what's killing you and killing other people. That's what it's about. The reason why grace is what is it is, is because it is a gift, and we will never merit, never deserve, never earn. Grace is beyond our control, and that's why it's hard to embrace. You ever hug someone that doesn't hug back? That's how we treat grace. I don't, I don't know what to do with this. Listen. If we try to merit, deserve, and earn it, then we would be able to control God's approval of ourselves, thus nullifying the death of Jesus and making it unnecessary. There's a danger here. What I'm talking about is scriptural. Listen to Galatians chapter 5, verse 4. If you want to be made right with God by fulfilling the obligations of the law... You have cut off more than your flesh. You have cut off yourselves from Christ and have fallen away from the revelation of grace. What's the point? The point is that when you try to strive or work to merit or deserve God's grace, that's actually the opposite of what God wants. Grace is a gift received through faith that God gives you the ability to even receive. This is why Paul says this, and I'm going to close in a minute. This is why Paul says what he says in Romans chapter 3, verses 23 through 25. For all have sinned 
and fall short of the glory of God. That's the reality for every single human being. Yet despite all of that, we are being justified. What is justification? Justification is the gift that you get what Jesus only deserves. So being justified is, is, is without deserving it. Being justified is a gift by his grace through the redemption, which is in Christ Jesus. It's undeserved. And this is why the devil hates Christians so much. Romans or Revelation chapter 12. Listen, the accuser of our brethren does what? He accuses them before our God day and night. He sees our depravity. And he's angry. They deserve. They deserve punishment. They deserve this. They deserve that. But how do we overcome? We overcome by what? The blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. What is testimony? Testimony is the story of what God's grace has done in your life. And that's how, that is how we respond when the devil is trying to make his case before God about how we're not worthy of his grace. We respond because of the blood of the Lamb, because of the word of our testimony. Listen to what Tony Evans says about grace. What makes Christianity unique among all the world religions is grace. Because all other religions tell you what you must do to make yourself acceptable to God. That's why they're called world religions. Religion is a man-made institution. And if we're not careful, we will reduce the gospel of grace to the gospel of religious rule-keeping. Religion focuses on works you must perform, acts you must accomplish, deeds you must do. Christianity, however, and this is why it's good news, focuses on what God has done to make us acceptable to him. Grace is what God does for us, independent of us. So good. Last is grace is unearned. Earned speaks of obtaining through labor or services that you can render. Romans, I believe, it's chapter, if I could get Allison to do what I asked her to do. Romans chapter 11, verse 6. I'm skipping down. But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. Grace is unearned. You can't work for it. You can't pay for it. You don't have enough money to buy grace. Money is immaterial to Jesus who owns a cattle on a thousand hills. Let me substitute, just so you see this. I'm going to substitute, this is, this is the Pastor Caleb paraphrase. God knows my heart. I'm not, this is not, but I want you to just see. Substitute grace with free and works with earn. But if it is free, it is no longer earned. Otherwise, free isn't free. Free is not free if you try to earn it. That's God's grace. I want to close uh, with a picture of grace, and to do that, I want to bring up uh, James. James, will you come up? Let's welcome James. 
pick James because in this illustration, come on, stand right Yeah, over here, right here. Put that book, put, hide that book, okay. Um, I pick James because James looks more like God to me. You know, like clean, got like a good shave, you know, some hair, good fresh hair, you know what I mean? And in, um, in uh, Greek culture, Lee, if you could sit down. In Greek culture, um, this word grace was a Greek word before it was a spiritual word. And it's the word uh, haris, or uh, we get charismatic. We get charismatic from this Greek word. It's, it's actually pronounced haris, haris. And what this word was, was it was used in Greek culture to uh, describe what would happen between a superior and an, an inferior. So what would happen is a superior would give a gift to an inferior in their culture. That's where we get this word haris from. And Paul, when he's thinking about what is happening in the world because of Jesus, the best word he knows to use to describe what's happening is haris. We have a superior giving a gift to an inferior world, undeserving, unmerited, unearned, out of his heart of generosity. And so a lot of times the way that this would play out is you have someone called a patron, standing like this, a patron, okay? Uh, and the patron was, uh, think of like a business owner, a shop owner. He had, he had materials. He had things that people would come to him and, and they would pay for. And then the, the, there would be another person. There would be someone called a client. So Leah, come. You're, you're, you're the client now. Okay? Put your hands together. Welcome, welcome the client. So Leah's the client. The client is just someone who, listen to me, they have what the patron needs, but they don't know where to get it. And so, so the client is here, she has a need, she's got a want, but she has, she's overwhelmed. I don't know where to get it, I don't know where to find it. The patron has what the client needs, but the client doesn't know where to get, get it, and the patron doesn't know that she needs it. And then what's crazy in this Harris example is there was a third party. The third party was a broker. And the broker knew both parties. The broker knew the resources that the patron had. And the broker knew what the client wanted and the client needed. And so he was the one or she was the one that would bridge the gap between the patron and the client. But this is where it gets better. The broker knew that the client didn't know where to go to get what she needed, nor, or he, nor could they pay for it on their own. So the broker would pay the price himself to get what the client needed from the patron. So I come to James. James is the patron. 
And there's, no, there's something that Leah wants. And I know that Leah has wanted it because I know Leah. And so go ahead and give me it. I got a book for Leah because I know that Leah loves to worship Jesus and she's growing in her love for Jesus. And because I have, because I know Leah, she may not have known where to get the gift, but I said, I know where to get it and I know that she needs it and wants it. So I'm going to spend my own money, go to the patron, get the gift, and then I'm going to come and I'm going to give it to her. You're welcome. But here's the amazing thing. She didn't know that I was thinking in advance of doing this before today. I was thinking about Leah when Leah didn't even know I was thinking about her. Jesus is the broker between what the Father has and humanity needs. They don't know where to get it. They can't even pay for it. But he knows where to go. So he goes to the Father and he says, you know what? You've got forgiveness, you've got acceptance, you've got redemption, but I'm going to pay for it myself and then I'm going to deliver it to the client. And here's the crazy thing. Long before you were ever born, Jesus was negotiating with the Father on your behalf to pay a price for himself so that you could get what he's got to give. Before the foundation of the world, the lamb was what? Slain. That is grace. And that transaction, Paul would see in the culture around him. And he said, what word is the most fitting word to describe what God has done for humanity? Haris. The I actually bought that book, by the way, so you can go. Will you guys put your hands together for these guys? Pastor Rick, I'm going to need reimbursement. It's like I'm playing on totally Okay. That's grace. Grace is. And you know what? I'm not applauding myself. That's not even what it's about. What I'm trying to show you is that she showed up this morning not thinking she deserved anything. But that's how the Father is towards you. He's thinking about you more than you're thinking about yourself. And so constantly, he is pouring out kindness and favor towards you to try to get your attention to show you how much, how much love he has for you. Grace is unmerited. Grace is undeserved. And grace is unearned. Will you stand with me? I just want to encourage you with this. And I've said it before. We are saved by grace. We talked about that last week. But I want to encourage you with this. That when you feel like you have fallen short of the glory of God again, do not 
Do not get into behavior where you try to spiritually perform or you try to have a couple of days where you're on good Christian behavior to try to earn God's grace back because you can't do it. The same grace that saved you is the same grace that will be made available to you when you come back. Repent. Get before the Lord and say, I've missed your mark. And I'm, I'm, I'm just being honest. A lot of times when we have a moment where we have totally slipped, it is unnatural to immediately try to go to God and say, God, I'm so sorry. Because there's something in us that is religious that says, you know what, if I just put a couple of good days together, then I can come back to him and he won't be as mad. Because I've had good days. And then we like, try to approach God where it's like, hey, you, you remember four days ago when I was really stupid? Have you seen the last three days? I'm really sincere. I'm really trying here. Don't hit me. Don't spank me too hard. And there will be something inside of your soul that will feel like it's totally unnatural to get on your knees right away and repent before the Lord. Because, because I, 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 don't, I can't control the, His grace and mercy. And I want to be able to control it by having a good couple days. But that's grace. So the same grace that saved you is the same grace that you will receive when you come back to him. And it is the same grace that will sanctify you, that you will live how you are intended to live in the Father's house. It is grace that will empower you to truly embrace the likeness of God and be like him. So if you're in the room, maybe this is your first time hearing the message of grace. Maybe you've grown up in church your whole life and you feel condemned and unworthy and you feel like, I don't even fit here. Yeah, you do. Welcome to the grace party where no one is here. Can I tell you, you will never, if you try to deserve God's grace, you will never do it because he only accepts perfection. He only accepts perfection. And there was only one that could do that. God made him who knew no sin to be sin on our, our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God through him. We can't be perfect. We just have to embrace the grace of God. So if you're in the room and like, like I feel like I need to be saved all over again. Or maybe you've fallen into a pattern of religious behavior where that's the only way you approach God. I just want you to be free this morning to rest in the grace of God. So with every head bowed, every eye closed, if that is you, and you are struggling, you're struggling in your relationship with God because you feel condemned. Remember, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believed in him would not perish but have everlasting life. But God did not come into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Condemnation is, not, is because you've been trying to keep a scorecard on being good enough and worthy enough for God's forgiveness and grace. So if that's you this morning, will you just lift your hand up? This is not for me. This is for Jesus to see. Thank you. Thank you. 
Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Jesus, I pray that you would set us free this morning. Set us free from religious rule-keeping. Set us free from trying to control how we are accepted by you, trying to perform. I pray that we would be free, free to be who you have created us to be, Mm. that we would begin to enjoy our relationship with you on a whole new level because of grace. And God, I pray that it would not just be a principle. I pray that it would not just be a theological belief. I pray it wouldn't be just an intellectual thing, but I pray that it would overflow into our behavior. That we would trust in grace kindness and favor of God towards me. In Jesus' name, and everybody said amen. We love you guys. We will see you next week. Be here. There's cake for you. God bless you. We'll see you if you're new. We would love for you to come forward so that I could meet you. God bless you guys.